Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 324, our dystopian obsession. Recorded April 29th, 2018, not 2019, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark. Sometimes known of this as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel. And joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie Janeer Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome to all the fine opiates. Oh, hello, everyone. Hey, did you guys, uh, you guys saw the big royal birth this week, right, where the he a he a guy got out there and... He did that. Did you see that on the news? I kept deleting articles that Google kept suggesting about some sort of royal birth, but that's about oh, it. Oh, man. I was just watching that guy, and I'm thinking, we need him to intro our show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, being um, a, a citizen of the crown, at least indirectly, are you? do you follow that sort of stuff? Well, we are supposed to be uh, you know, king and country or queen and country or whatever it is. But yeah, supposed to be, but you know. I follow it as much as my church upbringing. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that's fair. Um, I, there are a lot of Americans who are really into the whole royal thing, and I don't get it. I mean, didn't we sort of whole, fight a whole war so we didn't have to care about those people? Um, well, I don't know if that was what the war was about. It wasn't about not caring for the monarchy. It was about not being subservient to the monarchy right <laughs> having to pay their it was about pay their it bills. was about having to pay something like a one percent tax on certain goods and they didn't feel like they had the representation to do that and so they decided rather than pay one percent tax we're going to rebel <laughs> it was actually way more than that both of you guys are or but it was single digits you know, though it was single digits yeah. it was also we didn't have the ability to own anything that could be used uh, as a weapon we were cutting down trees with wooden axes think about that for just a moment um but anyway uh the whole point was i, I don't care about royals um and for some but, but google <laughs> thinks i do every time i swipe left on my google uh home screen it says hey here's another story about the same thing that you already said no i'm not interested in um yeah i'm not interested that, that's fine they, they can do their whole thing as a country it's just not my country i don't care but anyway um the thing I do care about, though, uh, is Marvel movies, and this week is the much-anticipated uh, release of uh, the Infinity War, uh, Avengers Infinity War, and uh, my middle child in particular was positively vibrating with anticipation. It was like, we, we must see this opening weekend. Uh, that we I mean, she wanted to see it Friday night, but I just couldn't find tickets, and, and this was three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. Everything was sold out already. And I wasn't going to do a general cattle call admission. I wanted a reserve seat somewhere. So we went Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Uh, at uh, wow. at the uh, movie tavern and had uh, $120 worth of bland uh, chicken and waffles along with our $100 movies uh, and saw the Infinity War. And uh, no spoilers. That's not how we do things here. Uh, I will tell you that... Uh, I have for for from the beginning since the Avenger first Avengers came out have said that is my favorite of the Marvel movies with uh, Iron Man the first one probably coming second and um, Winter Soldier coming in behind that um, I'm not sure yet I've only seen it one time but this one may in fact be better than um, the original Avengers it, it is at least in second if not in first I very much enjoyed everything about this deeply flawed movie let me just get that right out there it's deeply flawed but in such an enjoyable way yeah i will i will say it is a very good movie it does have flaws um i don't think it can it can't topple the first avengers but this is set up to like the first avengers you could have stopped after that movie and everything had been okay you know uh but here you can't stop. This is like the first half right. of a movie. And so how it ends, the the next one that follows this one will affect its final ranking in the MCU for me. Um, it, I really enjoyed the movie. One thing that I got to say, I was seriously disappointed was a lot of the CGI was like the the third Matrix, the one that was the fan film. <laughs> yeah. 
a lot. Of, I mean, it looked like that. Um, there's a lot of Mark Ruffio. Ruffalo. Uh, Rufio. Yeah, Ruffalo. Yeah, whatever. Sorry, I had Peter Pan on the brain. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of him in this movie, and just the CGI was super bad. I'm like, that's awful. Um, so, um, but, so, but I got to say, though, they did Thanos. He looked really good and they brought out i mean to me this could have been called thanos infinity war he was the central aspect of this movie and they they did his emotions his like you know they varied his facial expressions his cgi was really really good it's like every i mean i can think of this one scene where it looks like they they just photoshopped mark Onto the and it was just, I was just like, yes. I can't believe that. I mean, yeah, you know the one I'm talking about. I was just like, oh my gosh, but yeah, there was there were some really good points. Some they had some of the great dialogue, you know, the funny little stuff, but then there were some parts where you go, come on, you could have done that better. So, I, I mean, normally I like the you know, good guys win kind of thing because why not? It's fiction, but uh, you know, this one just ends in such a place, and I'm like. That was an awesome experience. I don't know how much I'm going to end up liking it, but it was it was pretty good. Yeah, this is an incomplete story, um, and I think maybe I've seen some some negative uh, reviews about it. And I think maybe that's why it doesn't tie up in a neat little bow, and everybody goes and has shawarma afterwards. Uh, it is an incomplete story. Obviously, um, has to have at least one more movie to finish the story and i think maybe you know for our uh twitch oriented audiences today who need everything now they're having a hard time waiting for the fact that it's going to be like two years or three before they get to see the end of this very compelling story um one of the things that i said about uh, uh black panther was it gave us a believable villain you believed his motiv- uh, motivations and you you believed he cared about him whether or not you cared about him they did the same thing with thanos he was an incredibly believable a uh, super villain and those two things are really hard to pull off to be a super villain and be believable and they made it work and i was uh i was stunned by how well they did that to be honest yeah i and i just want to add you know like black panther you really didn't need to see any other movie in order to enjoy that one if you haven't been keeping up with the mcu don't go see this movie. You're just yeah. going to go, huh? What? Wait, where? Huh? Who, who, yeah. who was that? What? You, why did that? So you have to you, at least have seen Winter Soldier and Thor Ragnarok. Uh, if you haven't seen those two, uh, the other you you will be lost. Yeah, and, and I would say, and and the first Guardians. You really need to see the first Guardian. Yeah, that's true too. All so. Right. All right, enough about that. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to go any farther other than just uh, just one little pitch in there. Uh, if you, <laughs> uh, I, I have to tell the whole story because it's funny. Um, I, I uh, my leadership at work wanted to have a luncheon for the low forty or so of us that that work in in our department. And they thought, you know, because it's so many people, it's hard to, uh, to, you know, can't really go out to a restaurant and there weren't any rooms available for catering or anything. Like that. So it was, it was, hey, we'll book a couple of meeting rooms. And Mark, you like to, to smoke large quantities of meat. Why don't you cater this thing? All right, fine. I'll, I'll figure out a way to make that work. Um, so I did. I catered for, um, I think it ended up being about 50 by the time we brought in other people, maybe four. I don't know. A lot of people. Um, it was about 60 pounds of, of meat that I did. Um, and so I did pork shoulders. Um, but for, for people who, for religious or health reasons, don't eat pork, I also did uh, chicken. Um, but for people who have chicken allergies, we have at least one person on our, on our team that has chicken allergies. I end up having to cook one batch, completely scour the smoker, then cook the next batch because I couldn't have the two meat in any way. Um, and, and I ended up doing all this, and it took me you know all night, you know, anybody who's, who smoked uh, meat knows that it's, it's not a, a hands-off process. Uh, but anyway, I took it up there, and it was amazing. Of these people, they were you know mostly uh, Georgians. There were some uh, New Yorkers. There were some North Carolinians, and uh, people were just raving about this is the best barbecue they've ever had. This is amazing. I've been to to restaurants and not gotten this quality. This is the best thing ever. I, I can't believe it. And the three other Texans, there were me and three other Texans there. The other Texans were like, yeah, this is pretty good. And, and I realized that we just have such a higher standard for smoked meat that, you know, uh, and I kind of felt the same way. It's like, yeah, it was good. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the salt lick. It wasn't uh, 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 Franklin Brothers, but it was good. Uh, but yeah, the, at Texans, uh, it's sort of a rite of passage. Once you get married, 
you're expected to purchase a smoker and start learning to use it. Um, that's part of your family obligation as a husband and father. You must do this. And so, you know, for almost 25 years now, I have been smoking meat and, you know, I'm pretty good at it. I would hope I would be after 25 years, but nothing that I've done, I would consider exceptional. But the non-Texans were just out of their minds about it. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, if you go to, there's a couple other places in the country, but you go and say, they ask, would you like barbecue? If you're from Texas, you say, what kind of barbecue? Right. <laughs> and they go, no, barbecue. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so cool. I mean, you know, in Georgia is one of those places you would expect. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe that's just the uh, these, you know, Southern pride kind of snobbery is that, hey, we can, we you know, everybody from the South, I guess I'm falling to those stereotypes as well. Yeah. And then, uh, after all of that ordeal, you know, anybody who's done that knows it, you, it may be in the smoker for 12 hours, but you, I started the process on Sunday to serve on Thursday. It's a, it's a multi-day process. Right. And then, so Thursday, after I get home from that, my wife says, oh yeah, I bought a couple of other pork shoulders. Can you do my thing for my school tomorrow? So there was another 30 people that it gave for right, right back to back with that. So um, I'm kind of tired of, of smoking meat at this point. Well, you, you know what? It's a, it's a worthwhile exercise. I'm going to admit I've actually made a pilgrimage to Texas for barbecue. I flew there. The first time I ever landed in Texas, which was in Austin, oh, was for- good barbecue in Austin. Yeah. Well, actually, to go to Lockhart. Yes. But, yeah. But all I did was just go there just for barbecue. I flew into town, got a rental car, drove to Lockhart, had barbecue, and flew home. And it was worth it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And, there's, and I would do it in a heartbeat. Um, no, Texan barbecue, best in the world, hands down. You go to Cruise Market, it's spelled Kreitz, but it's pronounced Cruise Market yeah. in Lockhart. Um, the, it started as a butcher shop where they just sold meat. And then uh, like 200 years ago, one of the guys started smoking the stuff that nobody would uh, else would buy. And then people started saying, I want some of that. So now it's still set up like a butcher shop. You go in and they serve it to you on butcher paper. Uh, and you don't buy like a pork point. You say, I want three pounds of brisket and two pounds of ribs. You, It's like a butcher shop. And the walls are coated with this dark chocolate paint but once you realize after you pay attention to it, you realize that's not paint that's hickory that is right. two centuries of hickory smoke that is soaked into that wood paneling and everything about it is just so amazing and they serve simple food beautifully and they give you a, a slice of butcher paper they throw throw some meat down on it a handful of crackers a couple of slices of bread and don't you dare ask for barbecue sauce um Absolutely. and it's totally worth it yeah, I mean, there's there's those guys and there's blacks, and they're like at war with each other in that. Well, they're town. the same family, yeah. Same family, yeah. Yeah, it was like a grandson <laughs> went down the street, like a block. You can see the one from the other. You can stand in one parking lot and see the other one, yeah. cruising blacks, and they're selling the same recipe, and they've been feuding, quote unquote, for like 150 years, um, and the winners are all Texans. Okay, this is only <laughs> like four hours from my house. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go. Yeah, you know I'm. I might, I, I might this week, maybe. Um. <laughs> you know, that's another thing. We're going so long in this segment. But when I talk to people from other states, um, they talk about driving. I'm like, ooh, that's a two-hour drive. I mean, I've driven four hours for for lunch before. This is not unusual when you're from a state that is as large as several European countries combined. Um, yeah, I will fly to a place for food. I'm... <laughs> proud to admit it <laughs> well you're a rich millionaire so you can afford no nah, yeah. i just go time waster really <laughs> i'm i'm going to lockhart i mean that Do that's it. a thing i'm doing you know it reminds me i know this i went to um when i had a rental car i drove like four and a half hours to schnook texas so i could have chicken fried bacon at the original place and that mm. was what i got up in the morning i drove there to eat lunch and i came back home and that was my day so, yeah. and you know what? It was worth it. It, it. I should have just had, I I ordered that for the appetizer and chicken fried steak for the meal. The chicken fried steak compared to the bacon was just like, I mean, it was like I found it on the side of the road somewhere and dusted it off. <laughs> <laughs> but I should have just stuck with the bacon and had more of it. So yeah, this is this Texas thing. I mean, it's it's four hours. That's, that's about the limit. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go much further than four hours by myself, but sweet. Yeah. Yeah, you, you you leave early, you have lunch at cruise, you wait a little while, you have dinner, 
at Black's, and then you drive home. It's a full day. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. So very quickly, Miles, um, the new season Westworld is uh, uh, meeting your expectations or no? Oh, yeah. It's really good. Did you see the first season? I, I have not. I don't have HBO and HBO doesn't put their stuff anywhere but HBO. So no. Right. Okay. Well, just the quick background is Westworld is an anim. Well, it's a, what do you call it? Animatronic uh, simulated experience theme parky thing people pay a lot of money they can go there and they're in this kind of cowboys and thing uh, and they fulfill all of their fantasies about what life would be like if they lived in 1880 something and anyway at the end of the season last season it's kind of spoiler alert but it's been out for a couple of years now uh, the robots uh, decided to go rogue and started killing everything in sight and became their own singularity, I guess you call it. So the new season picks up from this point and there's a lot of blood and there's a lot of carnage. I'm not going to tell you anything more than that, but you come face to face with what life might be like if our creations take over us. And that's really what this show's about. It's got nothing to do with cowboys. It's got nothing to do with the old West, other than that's just the canvas that it sits on. This is about robots going out of control and taking over the humans. Which so, dovetails very, very cool. nicely with the discussion that Seth has, has laid on the table for us. Um, you know, uh, dystopian fiction uh, is sort of a standard among geeks. Uh, this dystopian sci-fi is all over the place. And Seth posits, are we already there? No, we don't have giant robots uh, taking over uh, or, or lifelike uh, androids taking over, but um, there are certain themes uh, within our current culture that match some of the doomsday predictions of uh, you know our dystopian fiction. 1984 being an example of it. You know um, the uh, the portal on the wall in 1984 that was a two way both uh, entertainment slash propaganda slash spy device. You know you could call the Amazon Echo that, if and and not be too far off from it. Well, or even remember the Samsung TV that by default recorded everything you said and transmitted it uh, unencrypted across the internet to see if you were trying to activate it. Um, I mean. Granted, I don't know that Samsung was recording everything that was there, but if it was being transmitted in plain text, anybody along the way could have gotten it, and it was always on unless I think there was a way to disable it. I don't remember. But definitely, I mean, that technology exists today, and Google is the same way. Your phone's always on, you know, and if you say, hey, Google, or something else, you know, you've you've activated Big Brother. All right, so uh, I just wanted to sort of open you up there to what, what are you, what are your thoughts on this? You know, uh, uh, you know, are you saying that this is a short hop to uh, a dystopian future, or that we're already there? So, uh, just so maybe you don't understand, I, I know we have a lot of people who don't speak English as their first language who listen to the show. Um, uh, Utopia was a book written by uh, Thomas More, was it? I can't remember. And it was about a perfect place. Uh, and then the the sort of backwards or derivation of the word dystopia, I don't remember if that was a book or not, but it's been a common word. It's, it's a world where everything is broken. And so, like I mentioned, you know, the, the series, the Netflix series I watched, Altered Carbon or um, uh, um, Blade Runner or... Uh, silent running pick, pick any one of of hundreds of uh mostly sci-fi sometimes fantasy uh sort of pieces of fiction um describe a world where everything is broken and so that's that's what dystopia means and and so the the thought experiment here is have we already um achieved our worst nightmare um you know like the matrix uh the uh in that movie the dystopian future was 1999 and and living uh going to work at a at a dead-end job full of drudgery was the dystopian future and that was sort of the spoiler alert for a 20 year old movie that was sort of the conceit of the movie is like the the humdrum wife that you're leading is actually forced upon you by an outside uh intelligence um causing you to live a life of hopelessness 
Um, and so are we there? I don't know. I'm pretty happy with lots of parts of my life, but I also accept a lot of things that I probably shouldn't accept. I, I yeah, think we're there. Or go ahead, Miles. Well, I was going to say that I think that the human being in us, uh, our biological, you know, made, the way we're made, uh, defines that we will become this thing. I mean, at the end of the day, we're probably going to um, destroy our own race at some point, and hopefully, that's going to be thousands of years in the future. And you know, I'll never see it, but. You know, we are our own worst enemy, and we create this wonderful technology, which we geeks rant about, and then we give it to people who are not necessarily that, I don't know what you call it, I guess you call them evil, and they use it against us. And then the nerds look and go, well, yeah, but we didn't build it for that, we built it for this. Yeah, sharp nerd. You know, and that's going to be the problem, and that's the way things are. And I think we've progressed to a certain point where the nerds have created some really, really, really good things, and they've been turned against society as weapons. And I don't know where we go from here. The nerds don't stop inventing, so we empower bad people to do bad things with more powerful weapons. I mean, that, that's kind of my take on it. And this is an ancient story. You know, Prometheus stole fire from the gods to give warmth to humanity, and humans promptly weaponized fire. That, that's a thousand-year-old retelling of exactly what you just said, Miles. Yeah, and, uh, and it will continue, uh, you know, a hundred years from now. Um, maybe on another planet. Maybe in another dimension. I don't know what the future is going to look like. All I know is that we are tool makers by our biological nature. It differs us from every other species on this planet. And we're going to create better and better and better tools. And at some point, the tools will start creating their own tools. And we can only hope that they won't be used against us. So you think that is a very likely outcome where uh, machines will advance so far beyond us that they wonder why they have to take orders from us. Yeah, I, I almost feel like that's happening now. Um, or we're right on the cusp of that. And it's concerning because, it look, right now the motivation between, behind the uh, efficacy of the machine is being given to those who have the power to build and or own them. And that comes down to money. So somebody who has a wealth has the right to be able to own things that could be used against society as weapons to enslave society, control society, or or perpetuate further wealth generation aspects. And we are doing that right now. Uh, advertising, psyops, all of that sort of thing is a day in the life for us in the 21st century right now. So where this goes is you automate it, and then the next step is the automation takes over. What do you think, Seth? Um, I mean, I don't. I was just more asking what if, but uh, if we're going to go down, <laughs> if we're going to go down this road, you can see where. When I was younger, I used to think like the world was like Star Trek, and Star Trek, you know, one of the one of the neat things about especially the later series is like there's kind of a utopian veneer over a not so much dystopian but just topian kind of future it's like it looks great from the outside but when you get in it you realize it's the same stuff um you know i i think like maybe babylon 5 was the best at showing today's society in the future you know because promise of good promise of evil and you and you know we just kind of kick the can down the road but it seems that more and more the future looks bleaker and bleaker just because of the the greed of all walks of society you know you can look at someone like mark zuckerberg and oh he invented facebook and it's way for all these people to communicate and get together yes but because he invented facebook he bought an island and mansions next to him that he can tear down because he wants he wants his place to himself but yet he wants us to take on refugees treating us as if we're already a little more than machines um or you just looking down you know and then the the middleman the low guy you know us you know the grunt on the street kind of person it's like we don't care because we have a we have a shiny piece of metal in our hand that we get to watch cat videos um 
And so that that's all we care about. We care for a momentary entertainment, and we're not playing the long game. And that leads to a bleak future quicker than you can say bleak future. But yeah, Seth, Seth, you're absolutely right. What Zuckerberg did is he weaponized socialization, right? He he turned our ability, our need as humans to socialize with each other and to and to have friendships and community and all that sort of thing, and he created a digital uh, alternative to it of which everybody by their need for that flocked towards and then he turned it into a weapon to benefit himself. It's sick. But it's also the only reason he, the only reason he, yeah, I'm just probably more mad because it wasn't me than him. You know, I mean, I would love to think I'm this altruistic pillar of hope that I can uphold the world. But I mean, let's face it, I would just be, I'd buy an island and say, leave me alone and just, uh, you know, I'd be right there with him. So, well, so let's assume, let's follow this line of logic. You both say that we are inexorably headed toward a dystopian future. How are we, why are we unable to heed the cries of those that went before us. I mean, I already mentioned 1984. Uh, also, Fahrenheit 451 uh, uh, is a, a famous book where a lot of the things that they describe, the, the things that you just talked about, seeking entertainment above all else, um, uh, suppressing free thought for what the what is given to you, uh, is a theme. Uh, both of these books were written you know, decades ago. Uh, I, Robot by Isaac Asimov, the whole series. There have been people writing this future and warning us of it for centuries why are we unable to heed that warning well i'll give you my take on it since the dawn of time we cavemen have been surviving in the in the wild with a stick or a spear or a rock or something while all of the species around us saw us as meals right Eventually, we created tools that rises us up above the other species so we're no longer threatened by the, the mammoth and the lion and the elephant and so on because we've got a gun or we've got a car to get away or whatever. We, we don't have that need anymore to be looking out behind us at any moment. But it's in our DNA to do that. That's how we survive. And so if you're, if you're a human being and your DNA tells you to fear things around you, to be on alert at all times, and wherever you can to build up protection uh, for you, your family, you know, your clan, if you like, um, those things, pr- uh, they, they propagate in other areas of it. They propagate in business. They propagate in religion. They propagate in, uh, in any form of social interaction. Zuckerberg is doing what is in his his biological imperative, which is to create this protective society that protects his family first and everybody else. Well, you can all work it out on your own. I I would not go that route. I would say we choose because of the greed and darkness inherent in every person. Uh, I'm a Christian. I believe it's a nature of the fall, and that's why we're that way. But if you have some other system you want to subscribe to, by all means, go ahead. It doesn't change the fact that people are evil and deceitful at some level. And so rather than take the time to fight against the system, I want to satisfy my urges with a little bit now rather than with more later. And so the people who get ahead are the ones who can see the thing down the road, and I can only see the thing right in front of me. And I would rather have the thing right in front of me now than the thing down the road two years from now. And I'm one person, but that's that's the way we think. Why paddle against the stream whenever it looks like it's smooth sailing if I just let it carry me along? And then whenever I do need to paddle, I don't know how. Could humanity be happy in a utopian society? Again, going back to the Matrix, uh, Agent Smith there says, we originally um, wrote this to be a perfect environment, but you rejected it. And and my theory is that you need a certain amount of suffering. Um, you know, uh, Pulling in Star Trek, there was that uh, series, uh, that episode where they uh, pulled in the frozen people uh, that had been launched into space, and, and the guy was like, well, how do you keep score if there's no money? It... it Again, that's a theme that seems to run throughout um, uh, science fiction, and, and we only have fiction to go on, uh, that we just can't be happy in a world where there isn't strife or struggle. 
Well, I, I go back to my point about it's biologically in our in our nature to be cautious, protective, defensive uh, at all levels. And in order for utopian worlds to work, we have to give up that natural inclination we have. And I don't think it's in our DNA. I don't think we can do that. I mean, you, you have to be an incredibly evolved human to trust everything around you uh, without question. I mean, I don't know anybody who is like that. I mean, you cannot in and of yourself do it, I don't believe. So you, you, if you try to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and make the world a better place, then you're going to trip over your feet and cause a worse disaster. You, we can't in and of ourselves get better. I mean, you know, we can make things easier physically. You know, now I don't have to spend my entire day making sure I have enough food for tomorrow. You know, now I, you can work one day and you might not like it because it's beans and rice, but you could eat for a week, you know? Um, so like I say, we're, we, we just, we like, we like mucking around in the trenches rather than, you know, moving on up, I guess. You know, and we're in this 20 minute conversation, we're wrestling with ideas that, uh, the, the most brilliant people, uh, among us have wrestled with for uh, millennia. You know, Seth, you brought in the, the Christian concept of the total depravity of man from the moment we are born, we are broken and, and we are, uh, a slave to that brokenness until some external force of frees us from that slavery and repairs the brokenness uh that that theme runs throughout a number of religious cultures uh it it also you know runs throughout a a number of um secular lines of thought you know uh the the idea that uh some external goodness some external i don't know what i mean miles you you use the word trust right you have to um have to reach a point where you stop questioning you stop looking for the catch um and you know I, I i hear you say that you don't think that humanity as an organism is capable of living an existence where you're not looking for the catch right i don't think we can evolve beyond our dna i think we're in inherently well isn't that the definition of evolution like though changing beyond your d changing your dna to become something else well not this species. I think at some point we are as bad as far as evolved as we can possibly get. And what we're doing is because we can't evolve a great deal further, we're creating machines in our image that potentially could. So couldn't our technology be that external force that elevates us from our own slavery? Wouldn't we, you know, uh, uh, Ray Kurzweil was famously asked, does God exist? And his answer was, we haven't created him yet. Um, so, uh, couldn't, couldn't we as flawed humans create in, uh, uh, perfect unflawed, um, machines that then lift us out of our flawed nature? As long Man. as we don't create them in our own image. To me though, that's a very, I mean, that is hubris on a, just on a grand scale to think that we can create something better than ourselves, which if you believe that you were nothing, I I just, I don't understand how we think we can, if we could make something better than ourselves, we could make ourselves better. Oh, what a great line. I like that. Yeah, (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) There's something, it's kind of like saying, if I have, I'm a human and I have a brain, I have the capability of analyzing brains. And that means that I have to be above a brain to understand the brain. But I am the brain, so therefore that will never happen. And I think that's, that's the catch-22 here. Well, I mean, so if that's the case, if, if the, we're as good as we get, I mean, what's, what makes you think we're going to go backwards? Well, of course, you, you don't think so. You think we are, are living in our own dystopia. So are things going to get worse, or are we just going to keep being where we are? I mean, what? I, pers- if- I 
I, I, I think let me rephrase. Will, let me rephrase ahead, the question before before you end. So I ask it badly. Um, this is about the evolution of man. I'm using your your terminology, Miles. The, the that man cannot evolve any farther than it's gone. But why would you think we're going to devolve? Um, because we will create stronger, more powerful, and more uh, higher efficacy tools, as in technology. And it will be owned and controlled by those that can afford its invention. And that currently those that can afford their invention, if you think in terms of like the top 1% or whatever society, are are there because they fear losing that 1% position. In other words, they're very, very, very good at success because they know how to protect what they already own. So you're right. talking about the 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 very common uh, trope of rich getting richer, poor getting poorer, to the point where the the distinction between the rich and the poor is so vast that the rich are essential, essentially godlike, and the poor are the peasant class. That that's that's where you think we're going. I I do, but I think the what we've got to think about when we use the word rich. That doesn't necessarily mean rich in monetary currency. Because I, I have a feeling for the future, rich might be who owns more machines, who owns more IP, who owns more um, invention, who owns more tools. So and, I would say, I would posit yeah. that if you ask an Indian slum dog today, some, some uh, uh, orphan child living in the slums of India, um, what his world looks like. He would say that the the rich fat cat Americans versus his life is no different than you know the the, the Elysium uh, movies or any other any other dy- uh, dystopian fiction where the rich are unattainable and so far beyond the poor. So I, that sort of supports your point that we already have that we're just not recognizing that because we're right. one of the rich, right? And and here's the weird thing about it: you notice this when you do a, a lot of traveling. When you encounter societies that are not necessarily driven by this um, success motive, and, and I mean, I don't mean that in the wrong way. I mean they're not they're not trying to become, you know, the one percent. Not everybody is there out there trying to be the one percent. People are happy with what they've got. They're happy with their family. They're happy with their existence. Um, that happiness is to me gold. That that that's worth more than the 1% guy, you know, going out trying to control everything and, and protect everything and own everything because ultimately that doesn't end up generating happiness. It, some, to some people, maybe it does, but I don't know that too many of those people. All right, so we've reached the point in the discussion, as we always do, where we're starting to spiral downward uh, and repeat our same arguments. So, Seth, I'm going to give you 90 seconds to do your final thoughts and, and wrap up what uh, this whole discussion. Man, uh, let's see. I think the problem is we want somebody else to build a machine to fix us rather than we fix ourselves like miles ended up talking about and quit looking at something that we don't have and think that will make us better because that is only going to make us worse down the road. If we realize that what we have is, is who we are, then I think it would be a better place and we could turn whatever dystopia that we've found ourselves in into a utopia or would it be an utopia in a short amount of time? But because we would rather have what somebody else has, we end up destroying everything around us to attempt to pursue it, thus perpetuating the dystopia that we thought we saw on the horizon. How does that? That's good, Miles. Same same time. I could never say it better than that. Seth's got it. Nailed it. I'll just say that uh, this is a this is a theme that is, as I pointed out earlier, millennia old. Um, and because of that, because it is a persistent, um, insistent theme in humanity, there must be truth in it, right? It must be true that humans are fundamentally broken. One of one of my uh, cockerel's unavoidable uh, rules of life is that all people, without exception, suck. And and 
that includes me. Uh, and anytime you have people involved in a situation, that situation is going to go south at some point because people suck without exception. Um, and, you know, my uh, sharing my own uh, religious beliefs, I believe in a higher power that will uh, lift us out of that at some point and create a utopia of his creation because we're incapable of creating it ourselves and that those who uh, choose to join with him will get to enjoy that. Um, but we will, Miles, to use your uh, uh, terminology, we have to become different beings to do that. And most of the religious ideology that that deals with sort of this sort of thing says that we will become new creatures because this creature is fundamentally broken and cannot be happy um just in that sentence right there cannot be happy uh in order to be happy in a true sense we have to become something other than what we are yeah there's always been one thing about religion and this sort of dystopian future and the one thing that's really interesting, I always thought early on when I was a kid, you know, I was kind of raised in a Christian family and everything. Um, I thought people latched on to religion because they feared death, right? It gave them uh, a, a chance after life, uh, a faith-based um, light that they could go towards that would protect them from their own fears of dying. But actually, as I've gotten older, I've realized that really – it does much more than that, and probably the attraction is more that here is a rule set, you flawed human. <laughs> Follow this, and you're probably going to end up okay. But you stray off that, and then you face the consequences. And I don't know, at some point, I sort of think maybe that's the attraction. That's why millions and mil- or billions of people follow religion, you know, fill in the blanks, because there's a... There's a rule set for getting through life and not treading on yourself in the process. Well, I mean, as you said earlier, uh, uh, being happy is in, in today is sort of the miracle in itself. And I am happier because of my religious beliefs. If I'm wrong, if I come to the end of my life and that is the end of my existence, I will still have been a better person, a stronger person, a happier person because of my belief system. There you go. Yay. So now, Seth, what happened this week in history? All right, Mark. Well, I wanted to let you and everyone else know that on May the 1st, 2000, GPS got less selective. So on May the 1st, the United States government removed the selective availability from its global positioning system, improving the accuracy of civilian GPS devices from 100 meters to less than 20 meters. Uh, And selective availability is a feature that adds intentional time-varying errors of up to 100 meters to the publicly available navigation signals, and this was intended to deny an enemy the use of civilian GPS receivers for precision weapons guidance but there were several other ways around it and one of the things that led to the um, withdrawal of this was during the Gulf War there was not the military ran out of GPS receivers and so people had their wives and families send them civilian ones and then they had to go through these processes to work out the errors and get it in there and that was one of the reasons that eventually led to this feature and the government calls this a feature being turned right. off and that happened this week in history, Mark. And now back to you. And now coming soon, I forget the the deadline, but there will be. Uh, you'll have to have new equipment. Uh, current equipment can't support it, but there will be a, an enhanced standard that will cut that down to something like thirty centimeters. So not only will my phone know that I'm um, on this road, it won't just know that I'm on this lane on this road. It'll know that I'm in the passenger seat on that lane on that road. Um, that excites wow. me. It'll be able to tell if you're doing a number one or a number two, <laughs> you know, and, and that's just the, 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 the dark overlords wanting more information. But, uh, if it gives me more accurate directions, uh, I'm all for it. I want it to take me right to the aisle in home Depot where the schedule 40 C pipe is, you know, that's, that's what I want. I want you to be able to just walk me right there and then I'll be and- happy. And I have to say, because you're taking the short-term better directions, you're giving up your long-term future of a better society. You just, you proved my point. We're in <laughs> a dystopian future. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm happy with my choice. <laughs> All right. Now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity, thus making you seem like a better hiring option? Okay. I went, I can't believe I have never used this. I 
I've loved this game for years. Axis and Allies is one of my favorite board games. It takes a very long time to play. But there is a... I know we've talked about it on the show before, but it was never assessed link. There is an open source game built on Java called triple a where he implements access and allies. And you can either play it locally on a computer. You can play by email or whatever. And then you can do world war one, world war two stuff, but triple a and the website is triple a dash game.org. You can download, um, it's available for several different things, uh, different platforms. It can even be a self-contained thing. You could like, run it has a portable app if you wanted uh triple a access and allies you know i love the game so that's exciting to me if we can play uh asynchronous games online where i make a move and you know several hours later or a day later you make a move i'm all in on this this will be a lot of fun we could have a huge element op access and allies game that would be so cool yeah, you can I'm play by that. email. That's one of the options. So, and it involves like, you know, you make a move and you save it. And then, of course, you know, you email and then uh, that person loads that game, play, save. Oh, so it's super tedious. So you're loading, you're basically passing the Java VM back and forth. No, no. I mean, it just, you're saving an XML file because okay. you have Java running on your machine and, you know, and it's, and you're running the same map so that you both have the same map and you're just who owns this, how many soldiers are on it, you know, how much money do you have to buy stuff with? So you just pass an XML file back and forth. That sounds cool. I want Doesn't it. it. Yeah, I'm in. I love that game, but the trouble is it takes, you know, eight hours to play. It used to be, uh, you know, Thanksgiving when we'd all get together at my aunt's house. She had five children, and so she was the natural uh, place to put it. And so we would all get together, and that's what we would do over the Thanksgiving weekend from like Wednesday afternoon till Sunday when we all went home. They would be a single game of Axis and Allies going. Um, good stuff, man. This may be my favorite all-time Seth's Link Better than the backyard amusement park or the renting midgets? Come on. I've done some classics. Know. Yeah. And then there was the the drive a tank thing. I really want to do there's one of those not far from <laughs> me now. It's just if if only I had an unlimited amount of money, uh, then I wouldn't need to rent one. I could go buy one. What you should say <laughs> is for the uh, catering, that's what you should have got the company to give you. <laughs> hey, you know, I put a lot of extra time and money into this for payment. I want, you know, a ticket yeah. to rent a tank. Well, they did reimburse my expenses. Does that count? Uh, well, if you don't ask, you know, <laughs> what are they going to say? No. All right. This is the part of the show where I tell you how to contact us. Go to elementopi.com. Click the contact us button at the top of the page. Uh, this was the fifth Sunday. It was supposed to be a listener feedback um episode but because i missed one a a week earlier in the month we didn't do that i have been gathering your listener feedback we definitely need to have a listener feedback uh show in the near future but there is one miles if i can pull it up very quickly i have to read to you right now live on the air um Uh oh uh it is from oh darn it this is what happens when you try to do things live um it's from aaron who wrote, Miles, back when you were shopping for your smartwatch, I wrote in about the Gear S3, and I wanted to follow up on your issues with the small, I told you so. I ended up grabbing a <laughs> Huawei Watch 2 at the time and had been working great and has not bricked once. Plus, I don't have to charge it in my fridge. It sucks to hear that you're having issues, but I thought I'd throw in my quick update into the mix. Suck on that. No, I added that. <laughs> Cheers, Aaron from Ontario, Canada. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, well, I found a solution that doesn't involve a refrigerator. I put the charger in front of my air conditioning outlet. That worked. <laughs> That's still not a good thing. That's not it's a not. fix to it's the problem. Not a fix. <laughs> All right, Thanks, anyways, Samsung. <laughs> if you want to rub it in Miles' face, go to elementop.com, <laughs> click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, as Aaron did. Fill out the form there. Answer the world's hardest CAPTCHA, and then that uh, will go to my inbox, and I will read it right here on the air. Or you can dial 559-IMOP and leave us a, a voicemail, or you can uh, email elementop, uh, excuse me, uh, geekrant at elementop.com, and uh, we'll see that there. Uh, so... Uh, we appreciate your feedback. Uh, we appreciate your um, 
<laughs> appreciate you listening, frankly. Uh, I had the kind of a surreal experience. Uh, I had to make a, a long dry, trip for work, and I was riding with a coworker, and uh, we were we were in my truck, and we were driving, and she said, you know, ordinarily on this day what i'd be doing on my way to work is listening to your show you want to listen to it now so i, I listened to my own show with an, a live audience and it was weird it was just creepy weird i'm just gonna say um <laughs> listening to her laugh uh and respond to to us and talk back to us it was just odd it was just weird if you want to have that weird experience uh along with everybody else you can use the Castback app uh which is available uh there's a link it's in the android uh home play store if you just look for Castback, uh you'll find it. the Castback plus app is the newest one uh the free one is out there it's not being updated but the Castback plus app is you want to do and you can have that weird experience right along with us you can comment you can feedback during the show and i'll i'll read it asynchronously and it will be quite so weird um now seth miles any final words of wisdom before we say good night i just came up with a patreon level you could add for so much of <laughs> right in a money, with mark <laughs> one of us will listen to an episode with you <laughs> i like it i like it you know for five thousand dollars one of us will fly out to you and meet meet you in a coffee shop and listen to the latest episode that's sorry good. Yeah, you'd have to be both rich and stupid to want that. But hey, that you know, we'll we'll take money from rich from smart and stupid people. Uh, all right, thanks everybody for hanging out with us. We appreciate you being with us. We love this show. Uh, leave us a rating and review. That would be awesome, tastic. Uh, if you could go into iTunes and 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 that would be even better. Uh, but uh, the best thing you could do for us is other than throw money at us is tell other people about us. Uh, but that's it for now. We'll see you next week because that's it for this episode of the Geek Rant. And remember. Pay for what you like.